My conversation today is with Jay Forty. As a certified professional coach, president of the 4T Factor, author, and educator, Jay helps organizations to optimize their talent, trains managers in coaching and leadership skills, and works with executive teams to improve performance through mindfulness-based tools. So Jay, I interviewed you probably about five, a little over five years ago now for, mm, for my book. book. Yeah. And obviously learned a lot in that process, which is why I wanted to reach out to you now so we could actually have another conversation, record it and share it with people. So another fun fact is that you actually inspired the name for this podcast in a way as well. And because I don't know if you remember, do you remember this? When, when I had finished the book before I went to publish it, I sent the manuscript to all the people who I interviewed mm-hmm. and just said, Hey, like, take a look. If there's any suggestions that you want to make anything about what I said, let me know. And one of the recommendations that you had was to add the byline. So my title was success through your eyes. And you said, you know, I think the title is good, but I think if you added a byline, something like learning from your world to find your way, it would be more specific and maybe help people understand more about what the book's about. So of course, at first I was like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. Of course, I'm going to add that. So I added it, loved it. And then when I started this podcast, it was actually in 2021, I ended up taking a break. I was going to call it success to your eyes. Then I actually transitioned. I was like, you know what? I think learning from your world is more reflective of what I'm doing. So mm. not sure if you caught that or if I had shared the title with you before, but thank you for actually kind of inspiring <laughs> that. <laughs> Glad to have done that. Thank you. I don't know that I picked that up. So uh, how's that for a mindfulness coach who's not that mindful? <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, well, then I'm glad I brought it up because I, I didn't you. know if you would remember it because I'm sure you've had a lot of those kinds of impact on a lot of people. So and, and when I interviewed you for my book, one thing that you talked about a lot was the power of noticing and mm-hmm. stopping to notice. Could you share with me how you came to recognize the value of noticing and how that was either instilled in you or what happened to where you realized that's important? One of the stories I share in the talks that I give, my dad was a um, very determined engineer who thought it very important that his kids learn how to tune into the world so that the world could talk to us, that all the information we needed to be remarkable in life was already in front of us if we could learn how to gather that information. So his line was, when you come down the stairs in the morning, is your job, and he would say job capital J, to pay attention on purpose to what the world has for you at this moment, knowing that the moment before is very different than this one. So don't come into today thinking that your plan from yesterday is going to be an automatic shoe in It might work, but it also is worthy of you reviewing to determine whether it it should. And that sounds, of course, like an engineer. My dad was a technical engineer for Raytheon. Um, So we learned early on that it was important to see what the world had. And then we were to ask one really important question. And this question has worked itself through all of my work. And, and I'll be honest, you know, when as a kid, I don't know that I either appreciate, understood or appreciated the, the wisdom of it in the moment. So, you know, when I have all these years behind me now, I look back and wish that I had, you know, part of our conversation before, wish that I had known this when in fact I did know it, I just hadn't played with it. His whole idea of stopping and noticing what was in front of you. And then the very next thing was you are to ask yourself the question, now that you see this, what could you do to make it better? That, if you could do that exact thing of noticing and improving, 
you would create a roadmap for your life that would always advance you and always ensure that you are needed and supported and work and in life because your entire perspective was to gather the information. And then that doesn't mean that where you were wasn't a good thing, but there is always room for you to ask yourself, well, what's something I could do that's even incrementally better? And then you would create a path behind you that people would want to follow you because you were doing things that made things better. So I know that was in on us early. The um, I don't know that I used it as much as until I became a coach and realized, oh my God, I've heard these lessons already. And maybe I did some of them, but not until I was able to see them, you know, from a more professional standpoint that I realized how much value they had. And the biggest thing about it was don't get caught up in the busyness of running and running and running, you know, um, stop. And as we talked about a little bit before, make some space so that you are able to create the ability to notice. So the phrase that we teach people, five little words, the first, well, here are all five, stop, notice, consider, choose, act. That's our mindfulness formula. We teach that in every coaching and every program we host. Stop means interrupt the noisy limbic brain that you have that is always looking for danger. And instead, quiet it down enough to be able to do the next thing, which is notice what is in front of you. And from that, then the third word, consider. Well, once you see what is, then you could consider well, what would make it better. Then from those ideas, choose one, then go act. And if you could do that, you shift out of reactive mindlessness into responsive mindfulness. Now, I'm not saying you can do it all day long and you should always do it, but even if you did it for a little bit every day, you would see that the world has all of this amazing information for you, that many times we get stuck trying to do something brand new when it's been done before us in a way that would make absolute sense right now. So don't invent the wheel. It's great already. Let someone else's wisdom start from there and build something better from that. But if you never take the time to even see, then you don't benefit from all of the wisdom of all of the years before us and the information in this moment. When you get really aware of stopping and noticing people in particular, and you notice emotions and facial features or emotions in body language, that it gives you information. So the very next thing that you do might be more appropriate than the one that you always do which doesn't make any sense for this moment. But you wouldn't have chosen wisely had you not stopped to notice, to consider, to then choose and then act. And that sounds like it takes time, but that happens in a matter of fractions of a second once you realize that you should. It is now the hallmark of what I do. But I noticed funny, I have five siblings and I notice they're not like me. They had that same lesson I did, but I've kind of taken the torch and ran with it. And they're pretty good, but I frequently have conversations with them about being too busy. And all I want them to do is slow down a little bit to see what is, to choose on purpose, move really fast if you want, but make sure your foot is on the direction that matters before you go at full speed. And many times, you know, they're still just doing stuff out of habit. Yeah. And I think it's hard when you know, despite what you learned growing up or despite what was instilled in you, when the society and culture that you're in is constantly pushing against that, 
Mm-hmm. And whether that's with whatever intention, um, it could be a completely neutral intention, but it, it makes it difficult to keep that going when you're older. And I, I love that practice. And actually, when you shared it with me, I, I see it being beneficial for two really key parts. I think one you shared with the when you want to make a decision and you could use it in life and business when you're talking about making decisions. But another thing, too, I think has been really beneficial for me is it's almost a gratitude practice. I remember after our conversation when it was like five years ago or whatever it was, I remember I did, I made the decision to stop and notice when I was driving back home from school and all it took was like less than 30 seconds to make that decision and incorporate it. Like the idea just came in my head and it didn't take any extra time to do that because normally I would just be in highway hypnosis, like living Mm -hmm. on autopilot, driving home, like we normally do when we're driving. And to this day, I can very vividly remember what I saw. And it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It was like a pretty sunset, which I saw a lot, but didn't really appreciate some birds in the sky, a tractor, your typical country scene that you would picture. But now when I think about it, I have such a stronger appreciation for those moments. The drives home from school, I can remember, even though that wasn't anything in particularly special or or different from any other day, but because I had taken that that moment to notice and the gratitude that came from it was like residual. I didn't have to say, Oh, I'm grateful for this. Like I noticed it. I stopped. Mm. I noticed it. Well, I didn't stop like my car. I just, I kept, I noticed it. Um, I broke the interruption of the busy, like focus mode, noticed that. And then naturally I found myself being super grateful for nature and what I was seeing. And again, that took less than 30 seconds to, to have that experience of noticing and now I live in the city. So I experience a lot of traffic lights. And I know this is something that you brought up before too. And so I was excited to kind of think about this moment as well. One thing that I do now to practice the stopping and noticing is when I get to a traffic light that's red, I use that red light as a cue. So like any good habit, right? You have to have a cue, craving, response, and reward. And I use that as a cue to remind myself to notice something. And it could be something as simple as noticing the skyline in the city or whether the Milwaukee art museum wings are open. It's always different every day. Mm -hmm. Um, so noticing that noticing airplanes in the sky, if there's maybe a person on the sidewalk and you know, not, there's not a lot of pressure on, on what it is you have to notice, right? You're not looking for something specific. You're just trying to break that cycle, like you said, and it just has to be something that you wouldn't have noticed if you would have kept kind of moving on autopilot. And then, you know, you take that couple seconds without even forcing yourself to appreciate it's such a fun like gratitude practice that's different than the let me write down three things i'm grateful for today which is also a really great practice but Mm -hmm. now when i get to a red light i'm not frustrated about being late i'm not thinking about any other things in my head i think you mentioned like picking up your phone i'm able to use that as a cue to get into the habit of noticing which i think is a really practical simple tool and like i said it gives you a sense of appreciation for whatever it is that you're noticing, it could be something incredibly simple. So that was a really great practice that I wouldn't have started if it weren't for you telling me that. Like, No, I I love that you said that because, you know, all you get are the moments that you're in and it's our choice on whether that's a remarkable moment, an average one or an awful one. And if I don't even remember the moment because I filled it with nothing, meaning I checked my phone, responded to an email that certainly could have waited I've missed this big world all around us. And if part of being human is being in your moments, 
to appreciate all of the other things that are here, other people, the environment, the temperature, even the technology in our car. You know, if, if you're stuck at a light, that's a perfect time to say, what on earth does that button do? Well, old people like me do that. I don't remember what happens when I push that button. But it's the that it's the interruption creates the space to ask a question. What is going on with that? What do I love about that? How am I feeling right now? Any of the things that that stops the distraction and allows you to reach in, tune in. What am I feeling right now? What am I happy about? We don't live on the golf course, but we have to drive through a golf course to get to it. And they have beautiful greens and beautiful landscape. And I'm a tree guy. My whole life, my dad and I were tree people. We just, if they're the sign of the divinity for us is a tree. You know, when I lived in Florida, I have a little hard time seeing the divinity in a palm tree, but but I certainly see it in a evergreen and a Fraser fir or a ponderosa pine. And um, so as I'm driving through and I see these epic, epic trees, it doesn't matter what mood I'm in for anything else. When I see a tree, it's much like your cue, that red light that says, okay, everything stops here. Now start to notice what's around. To see a tree evokes certain emotions in me that can change in the second from wherever I've been aggravated, frustrated, irritated. Yeah, even though I know about needing to manage all those, doesn't mean I always do really well with it. But I know when I drive through that street that takes me by these trees, everything changes. Everything changes. And, and that's part of the gift, like you were talking about. There's a gift to being mindful. And the gift is everything around you was put here on purpose for something. And are you even aware of what that something is? Do we take for granted the people in our lives? Like they'll always be there or that's their job to do this. No, but, you know, dinner, that's not anybody's job to put dinner on the table. It's with an intention and how we set the table. We set the table at night on purpose. What are we having? What lights do we want? What music do we want? We do that on purpose because the kids are all grown. They're not home. So I don't have to worry about getting the little ones fed in a hurry. But, but the ability to interrupt what normally goes on in favor of doing something like that creates the opportunity to be grateful for things that you never noticed, but somebody put them in front of you so you would love it even more. But if you never noticed it, then you couldn't love it. That is such a great way to put into words why I felt so much gratitude when I would notice certain things. And I didn't consider the reason why I felt that gratitude automatically, like how I was saying, it mm. just kind of makes me feel a sense mm. of appreciation. But what you just said, because everything is here for a purpose, whatever it is that you're noticing, it makes so much sense. Like why, why then that elicits that sense of gratitude or appreciation for those mm. things. So thank you for verbalizing that <laughs> and making it me realize why I felt so grateful. And it's, it's funny with nature. It seems like one of the simplest things, but it's one of the most complex. And that's one thing I do, I do miss about living in the countries. I don't see as, as much nature, but one thing I, so I go to the gym in the city and I park in a parking garage and the parking garage has seven levels. And I usually park on either level two or three. And this morning I was walking out to my car and I noticed, you know, how in the parking garage, whatever level you're on, it says you're on level four or you're on level mm -hmm. two. I, I noticed that there were seven floors. It's like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what's on the seventh floor. I was thinking about the importance of noticing, but then also paired with that, 
the importance of tying curiosity to noticing and how much more powerful that can make it. And, and my example is that I was curious, you know, whoa, I wonder what's on the seventh floor. So I got in my car and I drove up to the seventh floor. And this was around the time that the sun, like a little bit after the sun was rising. <laughs> so I got up there and like most parking garages, it's you come to the top and it's pretty open. It was such a beautiful view of the city. The sun's coming up over the water and it's crazy if I wouldn't have paired that noticing with the curiosity, or if I wasn't, if I was missing one of those aspects, I wouldn't have had this moment. All life is, is a, an accumulation of experiences, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of who your friends are, regardless of all these other aspects that happen that we tend to focus on. Life is an accumulation of experiences. And a lot of times we focus on the big experiences, right? So you might have a bucket list to, to skydive or go to Paris or visit these places. And we put so much focus on having those really significant experiences that we lose sight of the little experiences that we're missing out on every day that could be solved from noticing and curiosity, just like this little parking garage example. It's like that sometimes is, is lost when we have such a focus on like, I'm not going to pay attention to the world around me, but when it comes to going to Paris or wherever it is, like that's what life yeah. is about. But I think one thing I realized literally just this morning was curiosity paired with that noticing can make it so much more powerful in a different way. Obviously it has its different piece to it, but to, to let us experience those little everyday moments that ultimately end up making our entire life. You know, and I, you, you bring up something you made me think of too, because that moment was a different moment for you when you went up to the seventh floor and saw that the you that now goes to its the the next moment is a different you so if you'd been on level three and driven to work or driven wherever you were going the you coming out of a non-eventful parking experience versus one where something changed you you can't help but be different in your next encounter with somebody so the whole idea of the stopping and noticing is so that on purpose, you notice the things that amplify your ability to be totally connected to where you are and grounded enough to manage yourself for what comes next. So if you had somebody uh, beep their horn and scream at you while you're in the garage, that without the ability to notice that wasn't you, that was them, I don't need to be upset about that and all of the other things that may come from that moment because you had a moment with a sunrise if that happened to you, you might have been able to diffuse that so that it didn't muck up your mood and therefore you carry it on to the next 10 things you did it's the series of these little micro events that determine how our days go so when we develop the discipline to stop and notice what's right more than what's wrong and our limbic brain is always on the lookout for what's wrong. When you talk to most people, they will tell you the 10 things they hated about today. But the better question is, what's the best thing that's happened to you so far today? Or what's something great? Just period, that. I just want to know that. In fact, the whole field of appreciative inquiry, have you heard of that? Appreciative inquiry, the process of asking questions that are based in ways of exactly what you're talking about, of appreciating what's going on. And a friend of mine, she's really big into appreciative inquiry and her favorite question to ask anybody, and now I do it with everybody I wait in line with, is you turn to the person behind you and say, so what's the best thing that's happened to you so far today? 
not what do you want to complain about or what didn't work. And most of the time they will launch into something that didn't work. And then you have to interrupt them and say, you know, I bet that, but I'm really interested in your best thing. And um, I was flying home yesterday. I had a, a Lyft guy or Uber guy driving me home. And so I asked the question and he went on to a rant, something he started with and then immediately veered off on why Lyft and Uber don't pay enough and on and on. And so I'm listening to that. I'm like, mm, that's kind of not the mood I was trying to create in the car ride here. Mm -hmm. So I just refreshed him and said, hey, man, that sounds really tough. <clears throat> but you know what I'd really love to hear? because I know we have them and sometimes we don't see them is what is truly the best thing that has happened to you so far today. I know it's only 930 in the morning, but I bet some great things have happened. What's one great thing. And then we shifted to talking about families and food and the ride went by like this and we left shaking hands. All that happened was, do we develop the habit to say how this moment goes is up to me for that to happen. I'm going to need to be able to see what's here and look for the good in it. I know there might be not good in it too, because that's what we, it's always going on. Change, challenge, it's always going on. But so is success and wonder. So I loved your word, curiosity. I'm curious about this moment, about what gets my attention that I really love. And when we teach organizations how to do the stop and notice, you stop and notice right now, what's working on one side and what's not working on other. You say the cheapest management tool on the planet is a blank piece of paper with a line drawn down the middle. Left-hand side says what's working. Right-hand side says what's not working. So when you stopped to notice, take the inventory. Don't judge it. Just take the inventory. I bet there are some things that are working. And I bet you spend more time and you have more things on the what's not working side of your page than the what's working. And if that's the case, that by itself is something you should notice about you, that you seem to be always focused on the negative. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do about that? Um, just as there's the same opportunity to say, well, pick something that's good or that, that you really liked or that it was working for what you were trying to do and do more of it. And now that feeling that you got when you had that, like the sunrise, well, what's the next feeling that comes from appreciating? What am I going to, what am I um, searching for on my ride home from work? That's going to make me go, wow, I'm on a wow adventure. What is going to make me say, wow, not wow, like, oh man, can you believe this? I should call the cops more like now that that's terrific. Mm -hmm. And all that that happened was I interrupted what I normally do to create space, to notice the good doesn't mean I'm not watching for danger. I am, but I'm also truly tuned in to say, I'd like this life to be as good as it can be. What can I do to add to it? Why do you think it's so common to be pessimistic? Do you think it comes from our survival mechanism to be seeking yeah. out for danger? I think so. Um, and then the Stoics, the Stoic philosophers were keen to say, you know, the biggest thing that we can do is to identify what we can control and what we can't control. And part of the control piece is to control and being a stoic wasn't to not have emotions, but it wasn't to be hostaged by your emotions. So the limbic brain doesn't care if you're happy, doesn't care if you're successful. It just wants to make sure you're here tomorrow. And you will have to interrupt that for things that are truly not dangerous. But if you're watching the news all the time, most of what you hear amplifies that limbic brain that has you really worried and anxious all the time because everything is dangerous. 
Well, not everything is dangerous. There are some legitimate ones that are, and everything else is hype. Mm-hmm. Well, especially now compared yeah. to like, it makes sense when you talk about thousands of years ago and the real yeah. threats that we had, mm-hmm. but now it's like, we live our lives and it's sad that we go through our day and it's not uncommon to put our body under the stress response for something that's completely unnecessary. And whether, whether you're putting yourself under the stress response from getting anxious about something, or if it's just negativity too, both of those aren't good for our health. I heard it once said that, you know, our brains are our own internal pharmacy. And if your brain is wrought with worry and anxiety and uh, anger and conflict and hopelessness and helplessness, that a lot of it's facilitated by you know negative news that we get really hit all the time. And if you find yourself as an older person sitting and watching the news all day long, how could you not be affected yeah. by all of that? And, and it really does a job on the chemical flow out of your brain. And that's certainly impacting all of the things that you feel. And pretty soon you've created your own story. I can't get out of my recliner or off my chair because I don't feel well, but I don't feel well because I keep sitting on the chair. So when I was flying back and and I even know better, and it still got me, you know, with all of the madness going on around the airlines, you know, what happened over Christmas. And there's this big storm at this exact moment running through, you know, from Texas to North Carolina. And I was flying from Florida back up to Connecticut. I couldn't help but think as I was going to the airport, is today the day my flight's going to be done? What am I going to do? And all of a sudden I found myself spinning in this. I'm like, whoa, stop. You don't have any control over any of this. You have a phone full of podcasts and books, narrated books. You know people and places, you will be fine. Stop. But I had to do that on purpose in order to shut down that sense of dread that just is commonplace to travel. I talk to anybody there. Everybody is in the airport. I can't believe I used to do this twice a week for the last 20 years and COVID kind of shut all that down. And now I look at getting on a plane. I'm like, I don't think I want that. You know, is there enough crew? Is this going to run? Am I going to get stuck someplace? And if that's the thought process, you can imagine that your very next thing you say to somebody is going to be much more driven by fear and worry and anxiety than, so tell me about the best thing that's happening today. It's it's not there. I don't even, I can't even reach it because I'm so busy worrying and unaware that I am even doing it. I do it so much. And that's where most people are. So the word stop is interrupt that just so you can see what you're doing. Don't judge it. If you're doing it, I get it. One small thing over time will make a big thing. So just start small. One thing, one trip, one phone call. Don't make to complain to your neighbors that your flight is like, just say, I'm not going to tell anybody. And already I feel better about it because I don't need to commiserate this and amp up my fears and my anxieties. I just need to acknowledge them and move past them. And I can't do that if I can't see it. And if I can't see it, then over time it becomes my habit and I always do it. And now I'm afraid of the world and I'm afraid to step out or try anything. And I show up to the world acting like this when I should act like this. And the thing that I'm here to do and the value I'm here to, to offer or the thing that is my purpose, I don't even do it anymore because I'm so afraid to come out of the house. And instead, 
what I really need to do is to realize that much of that is a story we've told ourselves. And if we told ourselves that story, why not tell yourself a better story? One that makes you happy. So why would you tell one that's going to keep you up at night? Seems kind of crazy. That's why I don't do horror movies. <laughs> what I love is before in our conversation, when I had written my book about what you had talked about, I really focused a lot on the noticing and adding that. But I think what's coming up for me now is in this conversation is how important that first part is, which is the stopping and stopping that not only so you're able to notice, but also the interruption of busy, like you said, and not allow yourself in, to go into the negativity as well. And we don't create that quiet, this whole stop of stop and notice is the um, interruption in the busyness to create space to see, to understand, and then choose on purpose what you do next. Busy makes you react, many, many people. Quiet creates the space for you to choose. And I find a lot of people don't choose very much. They just bounce between things and then frequently look back and say, how on earth did I get here? Well, you bounced to them because it felt right that you move here and do this and do that. And everybody pushed you along until you said in a quiet moment, and people seem to be afraid of quiet because the moment you have a quiet, so you watch somebody driving, right? You stop at a red light, everybody pulls out their phone and carries on staying busy. And I'm not saying at that moment, look, if you need to connect in with the world, you've got whatever it takes for the light to change. But do you on purpose create space and time in your day for you to understand you and your day? What worked? What didn't work? What do you want to do more of? What do you want to do less of? What brought some joy? What really aggravated you? Just Take the inventory. That's what I really like about stop and notice. The notice isn't judge it. It just says, just take an inventory. What kinds of things happened today? So now you have information that you can do more of some things and maybe avoid or stop doing other things. But you can't do any of that if you don't see it. Uh, my mother was a watercolor artist. She said, as an artist, the hard part of being an artist isn't painting, it's seeing. The ability to see is what makes painting difficult. And it's the ability to see is what makes life difficult. Their inability to see, because we don't create time to see. We are so, particularly now with technology, we're so busy every moment that when something crosses our path, we either barely remember it, or we didn't understand it well enough to learn from it. So the next time that that happens, we do it better. It's super powerful. And just to be reminded of that too, and then not only be reminded of it, but then take action on it. At the end of my episodes, I encourage the guests to create a challenge for anybody listening. And I know throughout this conversation, there's been a lot of really practical tips that I think people could pull. However, what is the challenge that you'd want to share? At the end of every day, stop and notice how your day was and do two things. Give yourself a score, scale of one to 10. How was my day? And the second part is take out that blank piece of paper, line drawn down the middle, simply write down, here were the things today that worked, here were the things today that didn't work. And now you have not only a number, if you like numbers, so maybe a little bit of my previous days are coming back through on that, but what you are learning to do is one, stop and notice, two, interrupt whatever your nighttime habit is in favor of a new habit. And third, start an inventory. Applaud yourself for these things. Give yourself a list of things that are meaningful enough to work on. 
Now you don't need to obsess over any, you just simply go, well, what's something I want to try? So I find it to be really remarkable. I recommend it to every one of my clients. I always, at every coaching call I start is always, so on a scale of 10, one to 10, where are you? And over the last week, what's worked and what's not worked. So it comes from the discipline of doing it nightly. So that would be my challenge. That's a great challenge. And like I said, lots of practical, I think, advice that people can pull. And I know you said that your book is hopefully in the works. It is still in research uh, mode. There's still further goes. Um, but I'm hoping the the kids books, JT, the Dreamer series will be out soon. And uh, there's a whole poetry collection I've written partly for my grandkids, but I hope to publish it too called Take My Hand. And it's wisdom uh, from all philosophy on how to show up ready for life, but done in a fun way so the kids would remember it in rhyming poetry. Um, so those I'm hoping will be out soon. And then the other one, Ready for Life, I'm hoping is kind of a sister book to The Greatness Zone. But The Greatness Zone is out there and doing well. So um, if, if people haven't had a chance to read it, go ahead and read it. Yeah, definitely. And in the meantime, too, where where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Yep. I'm Jay at thefortefactor.com. And you can find our website, thefortefactor.com as well. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Christina. Stay well. Invite me back. We always have more to talk about.